We've completed Romans chapter 1 through 4, and here's a very high-level summary of what we've learned. All the benefits of God's salvation are individually or personally received through faith alone, in Christ alone, and because of the grace of God alone. Everyone is under the power of sin. We need to be redeemed where the believer, the one who is believing in the Lord Jesus, the believer in Christ is freed from the bondage of sin. Everyone you know, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but thank God that he has redeemed us. Everyone is subject to the wrath of God, and we need to be reconciled where the justice of God is satisfied by Christ's death on the cross for us. Because of what Christ did on the cross, the wrath of God is not poured out on us, but instead was poured out on him. And so we are reconciled to Christ, and we are not any longer subject to that punishment, to that wrath of God. We are reconciled in freedom in Christ Jesus. And everyone is guilty of sin in a legal definition. We stand guilty in the, that court. And we need to be justified, found to be in right legal standing with God, brought into the right standing with God, made righteous before God. We need to be justified by faith. And that's where we receive that imputed righteousness of God and are declared to be not guilty. So last week in Romans chapter 4, we were reminded of the life of Abraham to help us understand that we are justified by faith. And, and now, this, this week, Romans 5 picks up right where Romans 4 ended. So let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Now that we have been justified by faith, what does that result in? So Paul lists three direct consequences of being justified by faith in verses 1 and 2. First, he says, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the peace of God referenced in Philippians 4, 7. You know, the peace of God that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're not referring to that peace of God here. This is peace with God. It is somewhat like the peace that is established between two warring armies that seize hostilities and establish a peace treaty. Right? There's... No, so in that regard, if you think about it in that analogy, we are no longer enemies with God. A permanent and lasting peace has been established with God through Jesus. Right? He says that's our first consequence because we were justified by faith. Second consequence, we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have access to the throne room of God to the throne of grace. By, by this faith, we have access to God, and now we are standing in this position, in this condition, in this overflow of the grace of God. We are brought into proximity with God, and we are positioned in that relationship for that overflow of grace to now come on us. See, if something is overflowing, right, and you're standing a mile away, you don't feel the impact of it. But if you're right there, right, standing right underneath that overflow, it, it falls on you. So the proximity, the, the closer we are to the Lord Jesus, the more we experience that grace of God. Right? And the third thing, the third consequence of being justified by faith is that we have the hope of the glory of God, both present and future. We have hope in the present, that he answers, that he delivers, that he sets free, that he's you know, at work in transforming us. We have the hope for the present, and we have the hope for a glorious future. So that hope is not just a wishful uncertainty of what might happen, but rather a very certain conviction that God will bring to pass what he has promised. So we have these consequences of being justified in faith. So there's a progressive nature to these consequences, right? As we grow in our relationship with God, because we are at peace with God, we become more certain of eternity with God, right? There's a progressive nature to that. The more time that we're spending in close proximity with the Lord and doing this, the more we grow in these ways. Now, we'll come back to verses 3 to 5 in just a few minutes, but I want you to notice verses 6 through 11. Having understood that we are justified by faith, Paul is reiterating, he is reassuring us that all this is because of what Jesus has done. He says, someone may die for a good person. Even that, even that would be very rare, but someone may die for a good person. What is remarkable is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And we talked about this even last week, but we're reinforcing that truth this week. We are no longer under God's wrath. God has demonstrated his love for us. We have received the reconciliation of God. 
And he says, if Christ was willing to justify us by his blood when we were still sinners, how much more will he be willing to pour out his love, life, and power on us now that we, are, that we have been reconciled to him? Right? When we were apart from him, when we were separated by sin, when we were dead in our sin, when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were legally not in position to stand before this throne of grace, Jesus came and died for our sins. And he shed his blood for us. And he said, I am doing this for your sake. How much more, now that we are reconciled with him, and that we have received new life from Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, now that we have been made a new creature in him, now that we are no longer seen as unrighteous, but that the righteousness of the Lord Jesus covers us, and he looks at us through that filter, through that lens, through those robes of righteousness that cover us, how much more that we are now in that position won't the grace and the love and the power of God be coming upon us. And that's what Paul is emphasizing in Romans 6 through 11. And that's a very important truth to keep in mind as we come back to some of these verses. Now, when this letter from Paul to the Romans was being read out loud, you know, when they would have stood out and said, hey, we got a letter from Paul, let me read, let's read this out, you know, and let's hear what he has to say. You can just picture the believers responding to what they're hearing with resounding amens. Right? I mean, you know, this was, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, you know, because here, here's what Paul is writing about that, that they would have heard. God has fulfilled his gospel promise in your lives. Amen. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so don't feel condemned because of your sin or self-righteous because of your good works. Only God can save us, and he has saved us. Amen. Right? God justified Abraham by faith through the blood of Jesus and Abraham's life clearly illustrates that we can be similarly justified by faith. Amen. Now that we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen. Now that we have been justified by faith, we have the grace of God. Amen. Now that we have been justified by faith, we have the hope of the glory of God. Amen. Now that we have been justified by faith, we also glory in our sufferings. Amen. Wait, wait, what? But you know, when you were listening to that, wouldn't you have done a double take right there? Would you, wouldn't you, you know, we're, we're, we're chugging along really well, right? Oh, this is great. Paul, this is so encouraging. And all of a sudden he goes, now that we have been justified by faith, we also glory in our sufferings. Wait, wait, what, 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 what did you just say? What did you just say? Because I wouldn't have written that. I would have said, my life story needs to be like this. Now that I'm justified by faith, I'm going from faith to faith. Now that I've experienced the glory of God, I'm going from glory to glory. Now that we have received the power of God, we are going from strength to strength. Now that we have peace with God, all our enemies become God's enemies. He will surely avenge us before every one of them, and we are going from peace to peace. Isn't that right? 
Wouldn't that be how you write this? What do you mean? That now that I've experienced all the favor of God, I'm going to suffer. Again and again and again, the Bible makes it clear that in this world, we will suffer. We will suffer grief. We will suffer loss. We will suffer pain. We will suffer. We don't rejoice for our suffering. We don't say, oh, I'm so glad I'm suffering. We don't rejoice for our suffering. But during the suffering, the consequences of joy that the Lord has given us will remain. The consequences of being justified by faith remains. The consequences of him having called us his own remains. So that in the midst of our suffering, we find joy. How? Paul says, suffering produces perseverance. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm suffering because I sinned? Oh, I'm going through this suffering, you know, or they're going through this, this suffering because they sinned. Yeah, it's the judgment of God. Now, you may be suffering the consequence of your sin. People may suffer the consequence of their sin. There's a result that happens if you go and do something sinful and you hurt somebody or you hurt yourself. There's a consequence to that. There's, there's pain and suffering that may come in that. But when Paul says we glory in our suffering, he's not saying that we need to be punished or suffer because we feel unworthy or we feel guilty of our sin. When, and actually I should say if and when, we repent and return to the Lord, the Bible is very clear. He forgives us, he forgets, forgets the sin, and he forgoes the punishment. Right? Because Christ already paid the price. So we're not suffering to pay for the sin. We don't look at our suffering and say, well, it must be because I sinned like this. That sin was forgiven. If you have come to the Lord and said, Lord, I repent, I receive your blood and your forgiveness and your cleansing over me, you're not paying for that sin. You're not coming back to God and saying, well, you know, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. I, 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 yeah, you owed me this suffering because I was sinful. You say, no, Lord God. I come to you and I repent and I ask for your cleansing and, and I want you to restore me so that I'm not paying for this and I can't pay for my sin. I don't have the means of doing it. I don't have the resources to pay fully for my sins. I, I just couldn't even afford it. Or you may have heard someone say, I've suffered so much already. Surely God doesn't expect or want me to suffer more. Now, God certainly shows us mercy. He knows how much we can bear. And he is infinitely compassionate. However, God doesn't owe us a break because we've had a bad life. You know, I mean, we can't say to God, well, you know, I've suffered for 15 years. I've suffered for whatever period of time. 
give me a break. Because if we do that, our suffering becomes just like our good works. We boast in that. We say, I've done all this good, Lord, bless me. Or, I've suffered all this, Lord, bless me. The suffering is not our merit. I've gone through all this. I've borne with this. I've put up with this. I've suffered through all this. Now give me this. Right? It's just like how we would claim our good works. I've kept the faith. I've done this stuff. I've been faithful to you know, proclaim your word. I have been diligent, you know, unlike this other person. But you know, I've done, give me this. Same kind of logic. I've suffered. Now give me this. Suffering is not our currency. It's not where we can say, oh, because of that, God owes me. Right? Think about it. These are the, the philosophies or the worldviews of those around us who speak in those ways. And we inadvertently pick up on that and say the same thing. Think about it. When we talk about people who are suffering, what do we say? Oh, that family has gone through a lot. Right? This shouldn't happen. It's really sad that this happened because this was going on. And we equate those, that past, that suffering, the present, the past, suffering, whatever, as if that has implications for the future. We suffer because we live in a broken world. We suffer because there is an opposition to God and his children. We suffer because of the sins of others. We suffer the outcomes of our own sins. Even our forgiven sins, there's an outcome from those sins, and we suffer from some of those things. Even though we're forgiven, cleansed, released. Right? If you cut us, don't we bleed? Yes. We, you know, there's a suffering that, that is there. But sometimes God allows suffering to chastise, discipline, or correct us when we stray. Think about Jonah, very vivid example. When he said, nope, you want me to go this way, I'm going that way. God said, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to have to say, oh God, I call out to you. I, 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 have no, I mean, there's a story now, uh, and quite recently, some of you may have seen this, of a man who was swallowed by a big fish, by a whale. Um, you know, but I have no idea what or how he survived for three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, in this, of this thing. But I don't think it was pleasant. I, I, I don't think he was saying, I'm doing great. You know? But anyway, God, I, I, I get the message, I'll go where you want me to go. He was suffering. And God allowed a certain suffering to pull him back. Sometimes, God allows suffering to prepare us for something in the future. He allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery. And when Joseph was being sold, I mean, he was in this very high and elevated position in his own family, loved by his father, and all of a sudden he's a slave. And then, not only that he's a slave in the house of Potiphar, that then he's accused of something that he didn't do, and he's imprisoned. And through all of that, he didn't go, oh, this is great. He suffered. But God was preparing something for the future. 
And that's why Joseph and his brothers finally reconcile with him or meet up with him. He says, you intended this for harm, but God intended this for good. My suffering, it's okay. Because all of a sudden, this entire nation of Israel, the entire, what was to be formed as the nation of Israel, was rescued in Egypt through what God did through Joseph. Sometimes God will allow suffering because he's doing something to prepare for the future. Sometimes God allows suffering because suffering removes distractions. Sometimes God uses the pen of pain to write his lesson in our hearts. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because our suffering gets us to depend on God instead of ourselves. It's not that when we suffer, we find out or we find that our lives are not in our control. It's that when we suffer, we realize that our lives were never in our control. We go through most of the day thinking, I got it under control. And then we suffer. Something happens. Something happens and we go, oh, everything is a mess. It was never in your control. God was in control. You needed to depend on him. You needed to come to him. You just thought that you were, you know, it's that little child sitting in the father's lap in the driver's seat, you know, holding on to the steering wheel and thinking that that child is driving. You know, we think, hey, I got it. Suffering focuses our attention. Our suffering gets us to be single-minded. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, you, you, never, you don't think about your big toe. But you know, you stub your big toe somewhere, and all of a sudden, your entire attention is on your big toe, right? You, you, you never thought about it, but all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you know? And if it's broken, oh my, I mean, now you're doing a whole bunch of stuff. All your attention suddenly gets focused, and suffering has a way of doing that. It focuses pretty quickly, and all of a sudden, we say, oh God, what are you trying to say to me? And when we start to become single-minded, when we start to focus, when we look to God and his word, then the perseverance, that, that sort of focus on what God is doing and saying to us, that single-mindedness produces character. Now the character that's referred to here is about being tested. This is not, you know, honesty, integrity. It's not that kind of character that's being talked about here. The word that's being used and the, the meaning, the principle here, is the character that is tested, meaning that perseverance, that suffering, that going through it is testing us. And it's about going through the experience that makes us stronger, right? It's like the metal, the precious metals that are being purified in fire to make it better, to make it stronger, to make it cleaner. So there's this aspect of being tested so that what, what we are at or where we are at at the end of that process is better than where we are at the beginning. And you know, this past week you may have had a chance as I was encouraging you to read Genesis 11 through 25 
on the story of Abraham, about the story of Abraham, you may have had a chance to read through that. And as you read through the account of Abraham's life and his faith and so on, in Genesis chapter 22, when it talks about Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah, God says, you know, offer up Isaac all of this. And then you know the rest of the story there. But it specifically says in, in Genesis chapter 22 that God was testing Abraham. When we read those things, don't forget the test is not for God's benefit. God is not saying, I'm not sure if Abraham really believes me. So I'll give him a test. In school that could happen. School is reopened. You know, school that could happen. Right? You have a test because the teacher doesn't quite know what you know. And so the test is given to see what you know. God's test for us is not that way. God's test for us is not so that he will... No. Oh, got it. He, well, hey, ah, you know, I, I see where he's at. God's testing is for our benefit. So that we say, oh, in this situation, what do I put my trust in? Where do I look? Where is my provision? How do I think of Jehovah Jireh? Remember, that's what happened on Mount Moriah, right? How do I call out to the Lord, my shepherd, so that I shall not want? How does that happen? This test will reveal what's in my heart. It's not revealing what is in God's heart. It's not for God's benefit. It's for Abraham's benefit that he was being tested. It's for Isaac's benefit that God was testing them. It is so that the purpose of God and the provision of God would be known. And through that, they would be strengthened. And it is when we are strengthened, when we are tested this way, when we come out of the suffering in that regard, it is when that happens that character produces hope. <clears throat> I've been referring to Timothy Keller's commentary on Romans in past weeks too and I have found it to be useful and helpful. I encourage you to find it and to read it and so on. But as Timothy Keller puts it in his Romans commentary, suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope. All the other things that we put our confidence in and that we hope in, suffering has a way of removing all those rivals. And all of a sudden our attention is on God. Suffering removes from us rival sources of confidence and hope. Other places we might look to for our sense that deep down we are okay and that our future will be okay. Suffering drives us to the one place where we find real hope, real confidence, and real certainty. God. Keller made that statement in 2014. In 2015, Keller published a book entitled Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And in it, he was grappling with one of these most difficult questions of our faith. Why does God allow pain and suffering in the world? And it's, one, it's, a, it's a question that has tripped up so many people in the world and so many skeptics of, the, of Christianity that they will say, well, if, if you're claiming that God is good, if you're saying that God loves me, if you're saying that God shows grace, then why is there suffering? Why is there evil in the world? Right? And you'll get that question quite often. But 
in any case, uh, and again, this is a good book. In 2015, Keller wrote this book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. In February of 2020, Keller published a book entitled On Death, about facing death. And he said, you know, I've been at the bedsides of so many people as they were passing away. And it's a difficult thing, and here's the thing, truths that I've learned, and I want to share these things. And so in February of 2020, Keller published this book on death. In March of 2020, you know what was happening. COVID was starting to rise all over the world, and pain, suffering, and death that were COVID-related started to spread across the world. In that month, Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Here's what Keller describes about how people deal with suffering and how he dealt with his own diagnosis. He's been writing all these things, teaching about it, preaching about it, and so on. And now he got this diagnosis, March of 2020. He says, a significant number of believers in God find their faith shaken or destroyed when they learn that they will die at a time and in a way that seems unfair to them. Before my diagnosis, I had seen this in people of many faiths. One woman with cancer told me years ago, I'm not a believer anymore. That doesn't work for me. I can't believe in a personal God who would do something like this to me. Cancer killed her God. What would happen to me? I felt like a surgeon who was suddenly on the operating table. Would I be able to take my own advice? One of the first things I learned was that religious faith does not automatically provide solace in times of crisis. A belief in God and an afterlife does not become spontaneously comforting and existentially strengthening. Despite my rational, conscious acknowledgement that I would die someday, the shattering reality of a fatal diagnosis provoked a remarkably strong psychological denial of mortality. Instead of acting on Dylan Thomas's advice to rage, rage against the dying of the light, I found myself thinking, what? No, I can't die. This happens to others, but not to me. When I said these outrageous words out loud, I realized that this delusion had been the actual operating principle of my heart. When I got my cancer diagnosis, I had to look not only at my professed beliefs, which align with historical Protestant orthodoxy, but also at my actual understanding of God. Had it been shaped by my culture? Had I been slipping unconsciously into the supposition that God lived for me rather than I for him? That life should go well for me. That I knew better than God does how things should go. The answer was yes to some degree. I found that to embrace God's greatness, to say thy will be done, 
was painful at first, and then, perhaps counterintuitively, profoundly liberating. To assume that God is as small and finite as we are may feel freeing, but it offers no remedy for anger. We respond and apply by living out our faith in suffering well. Last week in response to the story of Abraham and being justified by faith, I stated that we need to respond and apply by living out our faith. And this week, I'm extending that statement that we respond and apply by living out our faith in suffering well. We've talked about living well. We've talked about finishing well. And we've also talked about suffering well. But I want that we would be prepared to go through the process of suffering which produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. Christianity does not all does not explain all the reasons for suffering. You can go through all the word, you can study it, you can understand what the word is saying, you can understand what the Lord is promising you and speaking to you, and you still may not know the exact reasons, the specific reasons. In fact, when you look at the story of Job in the Bible, after the incredible suffering that he goes through, at the end of it, God doesn't give him a reason. God just explains that he is who he is. He doesn't say, this is the reason, this is what Satan did, this is what happened, this was the exchange. He doesn't go through any of that. He simply says, I am who I am. Christianity doesn't give us all the reasons. But even if it doesn't explain all the reasons, Christianity does provide us with the greatest resource for our suffering. Jesus, who suffered for our sakes and strengthens us to face suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. You see, God cared so much about our suffering that he was willing to suffer. I mean, think about it. It wasn't just to pay the price. It wasn't just to redeem us and to say, okay, all right, uh, penalty. He was saying, I, I, I care about you. And I know that you go through your pain and suffering. When Jesus cried at Lazarus' tomb, he wasn't just saying, oh, let me pretend to show compassion. He's saying, I know what the pain you are going through. And for that reason, I'm willing to take this suffering on myself. I will suffer for your sake. I will suffer for your sake. And I will do it so that you can have hope. As Keller puts it, Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. Christ suffered so that when you suffer, you will become like him. This morning I want to challenge you. It's always about coming back to the gospel. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him in such a way that you can say, Lord, 
when I'm going through my sufferings, when I'm suffering in some way, spirit, soul, body, all, oh Lord God, I want to be like you. And I thank you that you are right here beside me. It is not easy. There's nothing about this that will make it simple. You can't walk away from this message and say, oh, no problem, I can handle anything that comes now. It's not going to be easy. But in the midst of it all, we say, oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are with me. I thank you that you comfort me. I thank you that you give me of yourself. What is the suffering that you are going through? What is it that you're struggling with? Maybe something that has been there for a long time. Maybe a physical ailment. Even this morning I was hearing a testimony of being healed of physical ailments. We're praying for people and saying, God, come out of, let them come out of their hospital or wherever they may be. We're talking about others that may be in some real suffering in terms of their relationships or in terms of their conditions or in terms of their resources, whatever it may be. What is it that you're going through? What is it that you're saying, oh God, I'm suffering? And in the midst of it all, can you say, Lord God, I know you. I know who you are. And I know that I'm yours. And I know that in the midst of all of these situations, I'm still justified by faith. I'm still your child. I am precious to you. And in the midst of all my sufferings, oh, I will glory in my sufferings. Because I'm glorying in you. I'm praising you. I praise the Father, I praise the Son, I praise the Holy Spirit. Oh, I am so excited that you are who you are, God. When my eyes wander to all these other things, and when my eyes even get fixed on my suffering, bring me to you. Let my eyes be fixed on you. Because you said that those who look to you will never be ashamed. They'll never be put to shame. Oh, Lord God, I need you. I encourage you, because suffering is such a real part of our lives, I encourage you to go and to continue to meditate on this and to continue to come to the Lord and to continue to dwell on these scriptures and to say, Lord God, you work in me. You perfect your spirit in me so that I may understand what it means to suffer. But this morning, even as I pray and conclude and we end the service as such, I want to encourage you. You want to stay, you want to linger for some time, you want to pray, you want to come to the Lord. You do that. You do that. We can take our conversations and things out into the foyer. Um, take the time. Make the time. Come to the Lord. And if there is something that you're struggling with right now, suffering through right now, and you need the relief, you need mercy of God, you need the compassion of God, call out to him. He understands your suffering. He is not, he's not separated from your suffering. He's right there. Where is Jesus in the midst of that suffering? Right there. Right there. And so I encourage you to call out to the Lord. Father, we thank you that your word, your word that is so encouraging for us doesn't tell us that when we're justified by faith, everything will be smooth, everything will be great. 
It says, oh, when you suffer, even after you've been justified by faith, oh, that suffering will provide, will produce, oh, it will cause perseverance, it will cause a focus and a single-mindedness to be rising up in us. And Lord, that perseverance will produce character, will be tested, will be able to comfort somebody else with the comfort that we ourselves have received from the Lord. We will be able to encourage someone else with the testimony of the good things that you have done in our life. Oh Lord God, we will be able to share with somebody else oh, how you answered prayer and you brought life. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that, Lord, perseverance produces character and character produces hope. We have hope for this world and for the one to come. We have hope that we will be delivered from our suffering, but even if we are not, even if we are not, we trust in you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We glorify your name. Lord, through this day, through the rest of this week, through the rest of our days, we want to keep pushing, persevering, and sticking close to you. Because when we suffer, we don't want to be distant from you. We want to be close to you, as close to you as possible, so that we can grab you and hold on to you and say, Oh God, this is difficult. Pour out your grace on me. Pour out your love on me. Pour out your compassion on me. Pour out your provision. Pour out your presence. I need to be close to you, Lord, to receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you love me, that you love us, that you care for us, that you are with us in our suffering. We commit ourselves to you and receive this wonderful privilege, this wonderful blessing of God. Praying all this in Jesus' name. Amen.